Welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey, welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind. My name is Robert Lamb. And I'm Julie Douglas. Julie, have you ever been to a protest? Have you ever been a part of the, the protest movement in any way, shape, or form? Mm, I have been in cities before where protests were going on, and I was uh, sort of clueless in walking through them. Oh, uh, yeah. Well, yeah. I, I think we've all done that to a certain extent. Like when I, uh, when my wife and I went to Thailand several years back, there, there was some protesting uh, going on uh, at the time, and we just, uh, we, we were... On, on the edges of it, and we 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 knew it was going going on, but that was about the extent of it. Yeah, and it's kind of it's it's difficult too when you're on vacation because you're not in protest, you know, mind frame. So you might say, "Oh, I support that," but you know, you probably have things to do. You've got you know the Louvre to see, so on and so forth. And I, I make light of it, but seriously, it's it's something that it's um that has been happening a lot lately. And is definitely on our minds. And we're recording this mid-November, and as of mid-November, we've seen a, a lot of uh, protests unfolding over the summer and this fall. So yeah, in fact, just the other day, uh, they cleared out the Occupy Wall Street guys. So, yeah, that's yeah. right. So uh, that's sort of up in the air as to what the fate will be of Occupy Wall Street. Now, protests as a whole have uh, have have been around for ages, like pretty much as as long as as human society has been advanced enough to have laws and customs and policies mm-hmm. and cultural norms, um, we've, we've had reasons at times to rebel against those norms. It's human instinct, right? Yes. I mean, it, you feel like some, something has been, uh, there's some sort of un, uh, injustice going on in the world that you need to write. Right. And, yeah. uh, and, and we'll talk about this a little bit more too, but it's a little bit more complex. I mean, obviously socioeconomic, uh, issues come into play as well. Yeah. I tend to, Think of it like a uh, like a river. I think that's the analogy I made in uh, how protests work. Uh, which the article, can, yeah, the article which you can find on howstuffworks.com. Uh, uh, t- thinking of it in terms of of a river, and, mm-hmm. and in the same way that yes, you can change the course of a river, mm-hmm. and nature can change the course of a river, but it's going to take something. It's going to take a certain amount of will, or a certain amount of energy, a certain amount of power, because otherwise. Rivers tend to just keep going the way they're going unless unless something comes along to change it, mm-hmm. and that's the way it tends to go with uh, with something. Well, whether it is a law uh, or a, or a social norm or some sort of an, an idea mm-hmm. that has become popular or or, or 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 has become the norm in a culture, uh, that the river will continue to go down the course it's been going unless people rise up and change it, unless they they step forward and and are, and are like, you know what, we're not going to have the river run this way anymore. We're going to alter its course mm-hmm. in a less destructive route or in a more wholesome route, uh, et cetera. Yeah, what's interesting, you you used that analogy because just yesterday on NPR, one of the Occupy Wall Street protesters was making the analogy that they are like water, oh. um, that, you know, they're amorphous in the sense that they just can continue to sort of change course at will. So, yes, they've been uh, whisked away from Zuccotti Park in New York City, but that doesn't mean that the protest has stopped the genies out of the bottle, and uh, so they're just going to continue to, to, I suppose, run downstream in, in whatever manner. Yeah, they're like water. There you go. Um, so in this podcast, we're going to we're going to talk about protest uh, more along the lines how we approach it, like why mm-hmm. do we protest, and and also some of the the misconceptions about protesting and protesters and protesters. Uh, we're just going to sort of uh, jam here about about what the protest is and, and how it works. Mm-hmm. And then at the end, we're also going to run through some some quick ideas, uh, some quick suggestions that we've run across that may help any of you out there who uh, who are planning to be a part of a protest in the future. Or just, I mean, even if you're not planning to be a part of one, uh, you may find yourself 
in the middle of one, uh, just by virtue of traveling around right. or going about your daily life. Yeah, and uh, how you can better gauge a crowd and, and uh, be safe in a crowd, really. Yeah, I mean, whether it's an Occupy uh, protest or a borderline revolution in, in another country, or something as simple as you remember the great uh, coffee machine protest here at work of... Uh, Oh, of, yeah, of, I yeah. Guess of I, I I'm not going to talk about the brand name of the coffee that was taken away, but I will say this. Everyone complained about that brand name coffee. Yes. Ceaselessly until it was taken away and <laughs> another subpar brand was brought in. Right. And it, I, I think everything just ground to a halt because we live and breathe off of coffee here. Yeah. Well, I remember I was I was one of the early protesters uh, in in that particular movement. Uh-huh. But no, but I was protesting before anybody else I think really noticed the change and so then I was like, "All right, I give up. The new <laughs> this is the new order with coffee. I'll just bring my own coffee." And then everybody got up in arms and like changed everything. So. Yeah, yeah. And the Twitter feeds were just going nuts. They were luckily it didn't turn violent. Um uh, and no. we were only tear gassed once. Yeah, which yeah. is not too bad. <laughs> um I mean, you know, in a workplace, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but let's talk about one of the original uh, protesters, or at least in, in uh, American history, that we think of, Henry David Thoreau. Oh, yes. Uh, Henry David Thoreau, um, a 19th century uh, American philosopher. And uh, his big thing was, yes, yeah, civil disobedience. He was against slavery, mm-hmm. which was legal at the time. He was against the U.S. Uh, war with Mexico. Mm-hmm. And uh, so he was like, you know what? If things the way they are, if, if this was a meal at a restaurant, I would refuse to pay for it. So mm-hmm. I'm going to refuse to pay for it. My he, taxes. His taxes. He yeah. decided to just not going to pay his taxes. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, he, and he was not entering into this situation thinking, I'm going to stop paying my taxes. Good luck funding that war without uh, Henry David's dough behind it. No, right, that, that right. wasn't really his, his approach, but he, he was making a statement. That, that as individuals, we can choose not to support the things that we disagree with. Right. We don't have to accept the status quo. Right. Yeah. So, of course, they came and arrested him mm-hmm. eventually because yep. that's what happens when you don't pay your taxes. You get put in the pokey. Yes, at least. But this is really the, the, the birth of this idea of civil disobedience right. um, as a way to combat uh, perceived ills in the, uh, the world around you. Rosa Parks is another great example of civil yes. dis- disobedience. Um, of course, she she is famous for helping to uh, begin the civil rights movement, right, with yeah. the Alabama uh, bus boycott. Yeah, this was uh, 1955, and at the time, Alabama state law required um, black individuals to sit at the back of the bus and relinquish their seat to white individuals if the vehicle was full. Mm-hmm. So Rosa Parks decided, you know, I'm not going to comply with this. Mm-hmm. I'm going to sit where I want to sit. And uh, and this just and again, this is not a situation. She was like, I'm going to change the world with one movement. No, with with, with one decision to, you know, to, to disagree. But it ended up kickstarting. This was like the the snowball down the hill. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, eventually, you have a 381 day boycott of the Montgomery bus system. In the following year, the U.S. Supreme Court banned segregation on public transportation. Right. And this wasn't as improvised as, as it sounds, because she was a member of the NAACP. Um, there was. um Joanne Robinson, she was a, a black woman and a professor in all black Alabama mm-hmm. State College, and she thought it was time to to test the law. And so Rosa Parks had uh, completed a workshop on civil disobedience before she was arrested, and she knew very well what she was right. doing and what they were trying to accomplish. Yeah, as as much as much as we may want to sometimes interpret a, that story as it's a lady on the bus and she finally just had too mm-hmm. much and sat down. Um, 
It, it wasn't quite that, but still, uh, the- well, that's what I love about that because I think that it shows that there was this network going on, a, a lot of thought being put into this, mm-hmm. a lot of work being put into this. And there's a great article called How the Civil Rights Movement Worked by John Fuller that goes into this in more detail if you're interested. Um, but this is a time, obviously, that's pre-Facebook, Twitter, email. So it's really amazing that people were able to really get all of these details down and execute very well-planned situations. And uh, I mean, we're talking about that situations that were years in the, in the planning. Yeah. And of course, the other big name in protests, uh, nonviolent protests, uh, is Mahatma Gandhi, who uh, in uh, the 1890s, early 1890s, he worked as a legal advisor uh, to an Indian law firm in South Africa. So he's, he's you know, starts off not like the Mahatma Gandhi we come to identify with and the, the iconic mm-hmm. Gandhi that we, we know. But while there, he encountered... Uh, Racial intolerance. He, uh, in he, he was reading the works of Thoreau, mm-hmm. uh, Tolstoy, um, even the writings of Jesus, uh, and uh, well, the writings of Jesus, you yeah, know, the, well, the, the, the tales of Jesus, right. you know. And uh, he ends uh, he ends up uh, campaigning for the rights of Indians in South Africa, uh, and then returns back home to India itself and rallies the support against British colonial rule mm-hmm. and, and uh, the caste system. So uh, he ends up coming up with a strategy called uh, Satyagraha, which is uh, Sanskrit for truth and firmness. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this in itself, too, is based in, in even older ideas uh, that, uh, that date back to the Vedic uh, Upanishads of nonviolence against any living thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, but his whole idea is it was that, you know, we're going to protest and we're just going to we're going to keep it as nonviolent as possible. Mm-hmm. And uh, it, it kind of. It kind of bleeds over into some of the stuff we talked about in Martyrs, the idea that if you if you sit there and take it, eventually it shames the person dishing it out. And that's exactly what it did. Right. And, and very similar to, um, you know, some of the things that happened in the civil rights movement, people were absolutely aghast at how the government um, or certain officials initially reacted. And that put the pressure on, on those governments to make huge sweeping changes. Yeah, there was uh, in 1919, uh, the British troops opened fire on demonstrators, and then there's this enormous massacre, uh, an estimated 379 killed, um, uh, over a thousand injured, and Gandhi ends up calling for non-compliance. Mm-hmm. Uh, Indian public officials resigned from the British government. Parents withdrew their children from British schools, and mm-hmm. virtually anything bearing the royal seal was boycotted. So, and India's struggle for independence ends up paying off, uh, like through this, this measure and things, things that could not have been won. Necessarily with violence or or if, vi- or if violence had been used, you would have seen an entirely different uh, unfolding of of events and unfolding of modern India. Yeah, the Satyagraha, I think, was obviously key to this, right? Because it, it just said you have to remain passive, even if you're being kicked, uh-huh. even if you're being beaten. We must refuse to act. Right. And of course, this is this is the 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 upper hand that Gandhi and the protesters had eventually using this tactic. But of course, sometimes protests do turn violent. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I mean, you can pretty much search for the phrase "protest turns violent" on Google News, yeah, any day, and you'll find a pretty recent example. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, it happens. You get people uh, in a, in an area, everyone's kind of riled up. There are tensions mounting. There's generally uh, some sort of security, police, or military force keeping an eye on things. Uh, it's kind of a powder keg. Yeah. And I mean, that's one of the things that Gandhi realized in his whole thing was don't don't give them cause to set the powder keg off. And if they start setting the powder keg off, don't throw more powder on the fire. Right. And it doesn't it's not even just a protest. It could be a bunch of individuals congregating. Um, and I'm thinking about Laura Logan. Mm-hmm. She was the chief foreign news correspondent for oh, CBS. Yeah. 
you know, during the Egyptian revolution in Tahrir Square, she was brutally assaulted, assaulted, sexually assaulted. And again, this is a crowd that was initially coming together to celebrate and turned very violent. Um, so we'll talk a little bit more about that and how, how and if you can actually read a crowd and uh, try to avoid that. So why do we protest? Why do we do it? What's at the heart of it? Well, you can't really talk about, about protests without talking about groupthink a little bit and the mm-hmm. whole, the idea of like the, the wisdom of the crowds or, well, there, there's sort of two sides to the coin. On one hand, there's the idea of the wisdom of the crowd. Mm-hmm. You get, you get a, you go out in the street and you ask what the opinion is and then the street is going to be right. Well, this is that idea of emergence, right? Right. And um, we, we've discussed this a little in the past that, that, right. that if, uh, Left to its own devices and within certain constraints, the crowd will do a better job at figuring things out than a single person. Uh, a really cool example of this, this came up in a, an article I was writing for, um, for How Stuff Works about the game Pandemic. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is a game where people collaborate to try and stop an outbreak on a, uh, on a game board that looks right. like a map. And uh, I was reading some interviews with the inventor and he was, and this is the guy who created, the guy who sat down and wrote out this game, planned mm-hmm. it out. And he, pointed out that when he if he plays the game by himself, like mm-hmm. controlling all, say, four players. And again, this is a game where part of it is people have to get along and collaborate and potentially fight with each other about what are the best moves to initiate. There's mm-hmm. no leader, per se, uh, not an officially prescribed leader. Right. So they have to kind of figure it out and, and decide what their group tactic is going to be or it, or, if they're, or if they're just going to fight about things. Uh, but even, even with the situation uh, in place, he pointed out that uh, when he was playing a game controlling all four players, mm-hmm. he generally did not do as good as four individual players because you're going to have each of these individuals is going to bring like new uh, views, new data. Mm-hmm. And if if they can work those out, they're going to actually do better than the guy who created the game. Well, see, and that's, that's one of the things that uh, I guess you could say one of the errors that people make when they talk about protest sometimes in the media. They, they say that the crowd is irrational or full of irrational people. Right. And what you're saying is, is that there's, you know, pointing to this sort of crowd intelligence that is happening and that people aren't actually being nuts. They're not being crazy. Uh, a lot of people who are involved in this crowd are actually pretty pragmatic people. Right. Well, I think everyone has a, a rightful fear of mobs. I mean, sure. And, and I think that's what plays into this. So, so there's the idea that we know that a mob is a fearful thing when a, when a crowd of people are out of control mm-hmm. and, and there's with pitchforks. with pitchforks or fire or, you know, or whatever. Mm-hmm. I mean, they, they and you're riot. Frankenstein. Right. And you're Frankenstein in, in the movie. Mm-hmm. And, uh, uh, but but no, like a riot situation is not a good environment and is, is one that is rightfully feared uh, by by many. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's easy to extrapolate that and say, uh, I mean, it ties back into to basic evolution. You know, are you going to make a type one error or a type two error? Right. Right. And so you look at a large group of people and you're like, I don't like the look at this. This is going to they're out of control. Mm-hmm. Just look at the beard on that one guy. You know? <laughs> look at these dirty bums. Speaking of this is this is another common claim that people make that the crowd is poor. Right. Uh, right. Yeah. The it's going to be the the masses teaming out there to tear down the golden palaces of the uh, of the the rulers. Right. Yep. And this is from an article from Psychology Today that's actually talking about the reasons why we protest. And it says people join mass protests to achieve personal goals that they are otherwise unable to realize. For example, getting jobs affordable housing or getting rid of their debts. But what counts in terms of people's motivations to protest is not so much their absolute poverty level, but their relative poverty that is compared to their peers. Sociologists have called this a relative deprivation, and it is an important predictor of social unrest. So the point is there is that 
you might have someone who's protesting at, say, Occupy Wall Street, who is doing fine, actually. They, they can put some, you know, fine being, meaning they can eat, they have clothes, they have a place to live. So the, the point of it, though, is that the person at Occupy Wall Street is saying, okay, yes, I know that I'm doing better than this other person in this, this other country, but the fact of the matter is I live here in this city with these people and I should have the same access to opportunities and resources that this person next to me does, that my politician does, mm-hmm. um, that the blue collar worker does, the white collar worker does. And it's, it's really important that while we tend to think of the U.S. as uh, a rich country, the fact of the matter is, is that the income gap between the rich and poor is much greater than anywhere else in the Western world. Um, so statistical data bears out that the more unequal a society is, the more stressed and unhappy people are and the more chance, again, we have of social unrest. Now, two other ideas that are, I think are pretty closely related that are brought up in the Psychology Today article. One, crowd members are all alike and that the crowd has no face. Now, the uh, crowd members are all alike. This one is is one that I, I think tends to... It, t- it tends to get be wound up in media coverage, mm-hmm. like, uh, for instance, in in noticing uh, various media outlets covering Occupy Wall Street. Granted, you only have so many photos to choose from. I'm mm-hmm. sure. I mean, I'm sure AP, Getty, all these places are rolling out a lot of photos, but you tend to see people gravitating towards particular images. And like, there's this one of this dude that kind of looks like Andy on Parks and Rec. Um, with kind of like one of these beards. I think I know. Yeah. 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 He, and he has like one of these beards, except his, uh, his mustache is shaved. So mm-hmm. it kind of looks like giant Wolverine ciders mm-hmm. and he's like kind of yelling. And so you see that picture enough and you're kind of like, that's the Occupy Wall Street movement. It's kind of burly dudes with uh, crazy sideburns yelling that haven't, maybe they haven't had a bath recently. Well, this is another thing that, that comes up too. Um, this came up in the London riots as well. Like how could so many people from so many different backgrounds and, uh, you know, of all stripes of life, how could they all be together doing this? This is impossible, you know, cause not right next to, to Andy from Parks and Rec, you also have a guy in a business suit. Right. Um, so it's funny because we, you know, we've talked about this before. We like pattern recognition and we like to keep it simple and easy. But the fact of the matter is, is that all these people are coming together for a common cause. Right. Um, it's not weird that there are people from all different walks of life getting together and protesting. All right. Now, but the, the idea that the crowd has no face, that was another thing that came up. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, this frequently cited, well, the, the, like the Occupy movement has no leader, you know, so they can't just shut down this leader or arrest this leader because mm-hmm. the movement is greater. That's true to sort of varying degrees with with movements, Mm -hmm. Uh, because even in something like Occupy um, Wall Street or any of these Occupy movements, you're going to have people that are more connected. You're going to have I mean, just on a basic level, think of your own friend group. Um, There are people that are better organizers than others. Right. Um, I mean, just like within. You know, my own marriage, my wife is a much better organizer than me. So, well, just even in the personality test that we all took here at How Stuff Works, and some mm-hmm. of us were put in a group and, and made to be- play with Legos, which was perfectly fine uh-huh. with us. And another group were made to play with Legos unbeknownst to us. And then a third group had to clean all the floors. That was really weird. Why uh, didn't we what? get to play with Legos? They like doing that. That's what their personality <laughs> test said. Um, but you saw one group, uh, I'm, I'm going to we were all grouped in like, um, dispositions. Uh-huh. So in my group, we were the creative crazies. And so we made some sort of toy that made no sense and was inoperable. Uh-huh. The other group made, this was amazing to watch. The other group made this completely streamlined, um, some sort of vehicle, you know, like with little people. Uh-huh. And it was, of course, it was in running condition. Uh, so yes, you do have people who are, 
you know, automatically going to start organizing and helping um, in, in a protest group situation. And uh, then this is another one that uh, I found, the idea that protests uh, correlate to weather. And this one turns yeah. out to, to be true, or at mm-hmm. least there's some there's some strong evidence to support the idea. Uh, yeah, there was a Columbia University study, and they used data from 1950 to 2004, and the researchers concluded that the likelihood of new conflicts arising in affected countries, mostly lo- mostly located in the tropics, mm-hmm. doubled during El Nino years as compared uh, with wetter, cooler years. Right. So the hot, dry weather was driving people nuts, uh, raising their hackles, the, the, the uh, theory goes, right? Yeah. And uh, this, they say, we believe this finding represents the first major evidence that global climate is a major factor in organized violence around the world. This was said by Solomon Hsiang, the leader, the lead author of the study, who uh, conducted all the research at Columbia University. And then another thing, too, the Psychology Today article, I can't remember if it actually went into this, but, um, you know, the recent upheavals in the Middle East and North Africa really can be traced to the region's youth because we're talking about millions of young people facing widespread unemployment and seeing a dearth of opportunities ahead of them. So, you know, again, we're seeing a lot of these sort of themes coming up, opportunities, lack of them. You know, you look at Occupy Wall Street and, you know, some people have sort of made light of that because there's some... There's some yoga going on. There's some hacky sack playing. Um, again, some of the people that are in that group, um, you, you might point to and say, but you got it. You've got it fine. Well, I, I think we should, we should see more yoga, uh, practice at, at protest. Actually, you know? we should. This is a really good idea on both sides. Yeah. Um, but again, there is this, this, uh, sense that, that there is injustice going on that needs right. to be righted. All right. Well, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to discuss crowd psychology a little more and get into what you can do to protect yourself when you encounter a protest situation. This podcast is brought to you by Intel, the sponsors of tomorrow and the discovery channel. At Intel, we believe curiosity is the spark which drives innovation. Join us at curiosity.com and explore the answers to life's questions. All right, we're back. Crowd psychology, the mm-hmm. the, the group think in action. Um, we mentioned a little earlier uh, the idea that four people playing a game are going to do better than one person playing a mm-hmm. game. That if you that the, the street is wiser than the individual. And that, uh, and that if you were to poll, uh, a number of individuals in a group, uh, about a particular topic, mm-hmm. um, on average, they would get it right. This is the classic, like, uh, guess how many jelly beans are, are in that, uh, bottle, right? Right. Yeah. But if you want to kill this jelly bean phenomenon, the, uh, <laughs> the, the one thing that'll do it really well, aside from, uh, I guess like putting a hollow cylinder in the middle of the jelly beans or something, would be, um, to aggregate the information. When the, when the information is aggregated amongst the people being polled, mm-hmm. drastic fall off in crowd wisdom. So is that when people become informed of others' decisions? Yeah, or I think um, it, it's it's like, for instance, when you can if you poll everybody and you ask them a question such as, um, "Do you think the president of the United States is a U.S. citizen?" Mm-hmm. and then but, but then if you expose them to poll data that mm-hmm. shows that a large number of people are in question about it, or, mm-hmm. or say global warming is another one, uh, where if, if you expose people to enough polls and enough uh, data that represents the idea that, hey, lots of people think this is, uh, this is bunk, then people's uh, uh, wisdom on the, da- on the uh, matter will be affected. Well, see, and I think that's really important when you're talking about crowd psychology, right? Because, yes, there, there's a self-organizing aspect to it, mm-hmm. uh, but when you are sharing data, and, you know, you do hear everybody else's opinions. I mean, mm-hmm. that's when you can start to go a bit awry in logic. Yeah. So, yes, the, the, the crowd, for the most part, 
is rational. Right. But, but we've seen it turn irrational before. Especially if it, if, if it is being controlled and people are, are, you know, being told what to, what to think. Mm-hmm. I mean, one thing to keep in mind with protests, as much as we, we like to discuss the really good examples of protests. Yeah. Um, one of the most successful protests in, uh, the 20th century, uh, was in some respects the Nazi party. I remember the rise of the Nazi party in Germany. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of that began as protests. Mm-hmm. And then the protests uh, were successful enough that they ended up becoming the government. So that's, in, yeah, that's interesting mind. to think of it that way. Yeah. And how that that error in logic rose to, right. to, to really just. Yeah. And for every great example of civil rights protest out there, mm-hmm. uh, you can find another equally disturbing, um, say, Klan Ku Klux Klan group, uh, thing. group th- thing going on as well. So that's just something to keep in mind about the free market of ideas and the use of protest to try and turn the tide of public sentiment. It, this is interesting, too. This is from psychologist Clifford Stott at the University of Liverpool in England. He has a theory of crowd behavior called the elaborated social identity model. This holds that individuals in a crowd do keep thinking for themselves. Um, on top of their individual identities, though, they also develop a makeshift social identity, which includes everyone else in the group. When the group faces opposition, such as uh, police indiscriminately bashing its the, the members of the group with batons, the social identity congeals. Members of the group begin to work together to fight what it sees as common oppressors. So that's that maybe is some sort of insight, uh, particularly into the, the Nazi example mm-hmm. that you were talking about, that if someone, if a group feels on some level that they're in danger, mm-hmm. then all of a sudden your your individualism will cede to groupthink. Yeah, which explains uh, a lot of why a protest can be successful mm-hmm. and also why it can uh, potentially collapse into violence. Okay, let's say it all goes to poo. What do we do? Well, um, it, it depends exactly how it goes to poo, uh, actually. Um, I'll tell you one thing to keep in mind. We, we referenced this earlier when we brought up the idea of our bosses uh, tear gassing us. Mm-hmm. Uh, tear gas. Uh, I just wrote an article about this for How Stuff Works, how tear gas works. We should be on the site by the time this episode airs. And uh, there are a number of things to do if you get tear gas. First of all, te- tear gas, as it's commonly used, is actually CS gas. And it is generally not lethal. It is less lethal, if you want to get technical. Mm-hmm. Though it is also technically a chemical weapon. Right. And it's used just around the world, no matter what country you're talking about, because it is an effective riot control agent. Mm-hmm. And the reason is because if you are hit with tear gas, you, you pretty much are only concerned with the horrendous burning in your eyes uh, in your mouth, possibly in your lungs mm-hmm. and on your skin. It really tends to simplify a situation. What starts off as, you know, I believe that uh, people of my generation don't have a proper say in government, blah, blah, blah. It ends up devolving into, oh, my goodness, I need to get some water on my face now. Right. right. And so people tend to scatter. And certainly if you were tear gas, scattering is a good idea. Provided you can see where you're going <laughs> yeah. and there's not a, a danger in running because you want to get away from the source of the tear gas. Right. And then you're going to want to, uh, if you have, if you have contacts in, mm-hmm. you're going to want to get those out, preferably with hands that have not been covered with clean tear hands. gas. Yeah. Clean hands. Yeah. So clean hands being like, you know, if you, if you can find somebody who can jab them out of your eyes for you or, <laughs> or preferably like um, medical relief. Uh, a lot of protests, you're going to have some people on hand to provide medical support afterwards for individuals who have been tear gassed. So ideally, like you would have safety goggles on, you would have some sort of surgical gloves on. You might yeah. look odd. Uh, but well, you also see individuals attending protests with gas masks, mm-hmm. uh, with, uh, be they, you know, commercially available gas mask or improvised right. gas mask. I'm not saying do that, but no. some people, 
If yeah. you don't have it, you yeah. know, try a scarf. That's not as effective. But obviously mm-hmm. there are things that you can do to prepare if you if you think that you will be in the middle of a protest. Yeah, the big thing with tear gas is you want to get away from it. Mm-hmm. You want to get it off of you, and then you'll probably be okay. Prolonged exposure, that's where things get dangerous. And this is kind of a, a duh observation, but it probably bears mentioning that if you don't want to get hit with tear gas, if you don't want... Uh, the police to uh, maybe aggravate you a bit. Mm-hmm. Do not be in the front lines. Try to be in the periphery of the crowd. Um, of course, that would make a, a really crappy protest if everybody did that. But if this is what you're trying to avoid, then it makes sense that you would yeah. back off a little bit. Yeah. Oh, and then the other thing, too, uh, if, if you get it on your clothing, you're going to take that take those clothing items off mm-hmm. uh, as soon as possible. Right. You're going to want to shower. And if you have it on your, your shirt, you might want to consider cutting the shirt off if it has to be removed over your head. Because otherwise, you're going to be dragging a tear gas coated mm. uh, shirt across your face. Yeah. So just another small thing to worry about there. Uh, but then also, it's worth noting that some individuals are are going to be hypersensitive to tear gas. Mm-hmm. And that's certainly a situation to be aware of. Uh, but then also some people have a surprising immunity to tear gas. Right. So right. there's no way to know unless you have been gassed, really. But, you know, yeah. well, I mean, you can know if you have a heightened immunity. I mean, you may have like a compromised immune system. If you were mm-hmm. a child, if you were an, an elderly individual, then that's a pretty good sign that tear gas is going to have a rougher effect on you. Yeah. And let's talk about policing, too, uh, because... Obviously, the police are there. They're not trying to be the bad guys. Sometimes uh, things happen and they inadvertently end up being the bad guys. They didn't set out to be the bad mm-hmm. guys. That's a very difficult position for someone to be in. It's stressful. It's potentially dangerous for them and for you. So, you know, how do you behave if if you are confronted by a police officer? Uh, well, a lot of it, I mean, it lines up basically with what Gandhi was saying, right? I mean, mm-hmm. if if some if some dude is is clubbing people in front of you mm-hmm. or I mean not even clubbing if they're just say you know arresting everybody in sight mm-hmm. if you were passive if you were a, visibly not a threat mm-hmm. then you're you're going to be better off you're less likely to to probably be beat with a a baton or um to be put in a position of aggression by yeah. a police officer that, of course, we have seen examples before where that's not necessarily true. But if this is something that you're doing, again, you got to keep that in mind. Um, and what do you do if a police officer or someone else in the crowd becomes very aggressive with you? I mean, there are actually a couple of things that you can think about doing. It takes foresight and it takes a lot of concentration, but you can help to diffuse a situation. Well, um, one of the this is, it comes from the book uh, How to Win a Fight that uh, we were looking at yeah. earlier, and, yeah. and certainly we're not. We're certainly not advocating getting in a fight with anybody. We're not advocating this this book per se. We're just there's some information in it that was helpful. Yeah, and uh, one of one of these was that if you were in a situation where um, where someone is acting aggressively towards you, and in a protest environment, this could be even one of your fellow protesters if things Mm -hmm. get out of hand. Um, They say if you were to say something confusing or perplexing Mm -hmm. uh, that that is uh, that is out of character with the situation, right? That can help if only providing like one brief moment to slip away or to or to distill the uh, aggression uh, of the other individual. Right. So if someone were about to, it seemed like someone was about to attack you, then you could calmly say to them something like, do you know what time it is? Which right. sounds ridiculous. But really what's happening is that it's creating this this mental sort of flicker in their brains and it's cognitive dissonance. Right. Because they're like, right. what, who cares? what?" Because time it is? they would expect someone to say like. Occupy this or, or back off pig, right? I mean, that's the kind of, right. that's kind of the kind of stuff that, that someone in an aggressive mindset in that situation might expect them mm-hmm. to say. And if you don't play along with that, uh, 
with that transcript. Right, with the social uh, role that you're playing, right? Right, right. Then yeah. that, that can potentially help diffuse the situation. Yeah, and another effective thing to do is to calmly, again, uh, calmly say something along the lines of, you know, there are a lot of surveillance cameras around here, or mm-hmm. there are a lot of people with video surveillance, um, or, you know, cell phone video, so that you can get that person to back out of their heads a little bit and, and sort of see the big picture of the situation and maybe even think, oh, okay, this is, you know, someone's about to record um, some sort of transgression on my part. Yeah. And if you manage to make it away from a protest that has fallen apart mm-hmm. into some sort of violent uh, situation, uh, take an indirect route home. Don't don't go the, the direct route necessarily. Uh, yeah, I read that, that and I wondered about that. Um, is this I, I wondered if this was a sort of extension of police going after people, um, although I, I'm assuming that if you're on your way home, you're probably mm-hmm. out of nabbing distance. I, I think that, yeah, I think this one just basically, it, it's kind of like, are you being herded into arrest kind of a situation? It's mm-hmm. about, a, you know, arrest avoidance. And that's the other thing. If someone is trying to arrest you at a protest, you should probably just comply and yeah. be arrested, really. Yeah. I mean, I mean, certainly we're not going to advocate that anyone try to avoid arrest, uh, lawful arrest, but I mean... If, if it's a situation between being uh, chased down or hit with a rubber bullet versus giving yourself up to the uh, the authorities that are cracking down on the protest, mm-hmm. you know. And if you're about to get clocked, this is sort of interesting. Again, it's from from the book, uh, but it they were basically saying that it sounds counterintuitive, but if you're about to get struck, you should try to relax your muscles. Yeah. Um, the reason is is because your your reaction time is going to be a lot slower if you lock up all your muscles in anticipation of a blow. So if you're going to try to avoid it, then that's what you'd want to do. I mean, it's very kind of kung fu, right? Because right. you know, well, it's like a batter on the mound, right? If the batter is stressed out, they're not going to have as uh, they, they may be as powerful as all get out, but mm-hmm. they're not going to have as much control over their swing. Yeah, and and this is I thought this was kind of funny from the book. They said when adrenaline hits your system, you become tougher and more resilient. But the downside is that you become a one-task knuckle-dragging troglodyte. So the more stressed you are, the more your body shuts down. And we're talking from fine motor skills like finger dexterity and eye-hand coordination to the loss of depth perception and then, of course, irrational thinking. So those are just some ideas about uh, how you might respond to a protest uh, environment. Um, yeah, yeah. And, and this, again, this is sort of timely, this piece of information, too. Um, in the final hours of protest, um, you know, when the um, – Permits are about to expire. This is usually when the police make most of their arrests because right. now they can kind of charge in and do that. So, so go early <laughs> uh, and uh, leave while they're wanting you to stay, right? Exactly. Yeah. Like Basically like with any party. Leave on a high note. So let's leave on a high note on this one then. Um, and though certainly we invite uh, any ideas and opinions related to this uh, topic because mm-hmm. uh, cause this one more than, to, than than a lot of them. There's some aspects of it that are that are open to interpretation in terms of like what, for instance, what the best uh, response is. I mean, these are right. Yeah, the, yeah. I would love to hear from people who have perhaps been in many protests before. Um, what have your experiences yeah. been like? Um, and, and what has it been like when people like try to keep it cool and try to you know. Try to engage in nonviolence mm-hmm. and, uh, and and passive responses uh, to all of this. Be interested to hear any tales. I'd love to leave off with a quote from Martin Luther King about okay. this. His take on the psychology of the disenfranchised: There is nothing more dangerous than to build a society with a large segment of people in that society who feel that they have no stake in it, who feel that they have nothing to lose. People who have a stake in their society protect that society, but when they don't have it, they unconsciously want to destroy it. 
I think those are pretty sage words from Martin Luther King. Well, hey, I'm going to reach into the um, listener mail folder if the robot will hand it to me. Thank you, robot. So this one here is from Hannah. Hannah writes in and says, Dear Robert and Julie, I recently listened to your podcast on sports and was intrigued by a passing bit of information. When you were talking about the brain simulating throwing a baseball when watching baseball being uh, baseball being thrown, Robert mentioned the brain doing the same while reading. As the family's resident bookworm, it has been pointed out to me that while reading, I make a lot of facial expressions. My parents and sister tease me for this, but I have found that, that these expressions are not uh, of my reaction to the book, but uh, reflect the emotions of the characters. For example, if a character's brow is furrowed, mine will be as well. I always attributed this to general quirkiness, but it was uh, fascinating to hear that uh, hear what might be going on in my head. I love the uh, podcast. You guys make uh, college app season a lot less stressful. Oh, college application season. Yeah. yeah. I was As opposed to, like, season. something on your phone. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's that's interesting. I mean, her, her uh, mirror neurons were definitely at work there. Yeah. And I was just thinking, too, about the Imaginary Friends podcast that we did in which we talked about the authors sometimes uh, engaging with the characters they're creating as imaginary friends. In fact, thinking of them as imaginary friends. So a lot of that plays into it, the empathy part. Yeah. Um, I have one quick email from a listener named uh, Savar, and Savar said, I just heard your last podcast and heard Julie say that adrenaline floods your body. I'm a biology student. I just recently found out that the amount of adrenaline needed to trigger the fight or flight response is actually minuscule. Adrenaline has roughly the same concentration in your body as an aspirin tablet dissolved in an Olympic-sized swimming pool. Oh, okay. So that was kind of, that's pretty fascinating, right? Like, that that, that amount could make you feel as though you are having adrenaline rush like you as if you were being flooded with adrenaline but you're not huh. so thank you Savar. all right well uh, if you guys have any tidbits to share with us uh you know especially about protests your own experiences with them your own thoughts about them uh and about i mean just the the idea of protest is this social thing uh i mean that's what fascinates me the most um uh, and, and certainly was what engaged me the most in, in writing that article uh, about protests uh share them with us uh we are on facebook and twitter we are blow the mind on both of those and you can always share your thoughts by sending us an email at blowthemind at howstuffworks.com. Be sure to check out our new video podcast, Stuff from the Future. Join HowStuffWorks staff as we explore the most promising and perplexing possibilities of tomorrow. Mm-hmm.